Hello and welcome to Potris. This is Meg. This is Lane. And today we're reviewing Rebellious Desire by Julie Garwood. So as you may recall from earlier episodes, uh, Meg's introduction to romance came through Julie Garwood. That's correct. Yes. And I thought it would be really fun, especially because we've recently reviewed some of my old favorites, to review the books that got Meg into romance. And I, it was an entertaining read for me. Yeah. So the the funniest thing I think about this is that I, so I own this book um, and I lent it to Lane. And I own this book because of the nostalgia I hold towards Julie Garwood. Like, I remember loving her. I remember reading her and, like, getting all of her books from the library and doing all the reading, um, going through her backlist, you know, reading everything by her. And then I think this must have been, like, a Kindle Daily Deal or something like that. And so I was like, oh, look, it's, it's by Julie Garwood. I'll buy it. And I read it. And I will say that nostalgia was not enough to carry me through this one. (laughs) This is Lane's introduction to Julie Garwood. So I'm very interested to discuss it with her. I mean, I think it was a hot mess, but I had fun reading it. Okay, good. I I was just upset, I think, the whole time. (laughs) Right. Like, for you, you remember it being something else and you're disappointed in it. Where for me, it's like... A romance novel published in 1986. Yes. So this was published in 1986. Julie Gard was definitely like a late 80s, early 90s author. I I think she still published a little bit in the 2000s. But at that point, uh, you know, she's she has published some contemporaries that I have never read. Um, and I can't... Uh, I wasn't into contemporaries at the time. And then when I did start reading some contemporaries, I was like out of my Julie Garwood phase. Yeah. And I get why this was a phase. (laughs) Right. Right. So the jacket. Let's do it. Of all the Dukes in England, Jared Marcus Benton, the Duke of Bradford, was the wealthiest, most handsome, and most arrogant. And of all London's ladies, He wanted the tender obedience of only one, Caroline Richmond. She was a ravishing beauty from Boston with a mysterious past and a fiery spirit. Drawn to the powerful Duke, undeterred by his presumptuous airs, Caroline was determined to win his lasting love. But Bradford would bend to no woman until a deadly intrigue drew them enticingly close. Now, united against a common enemy, they would discover the power of the magnificent attraction that brought them together. A desire born in danger, but destined to flame into love. What the fuck is that jacket? You know what, Lane? (laughs) I can't even criticize it because I think it gives you a pretty good taste of what you're going to get. Okay. Yes. But there is more of an attempt at a plot in this book than this jacket would lead you to believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It reminded me actually uh, a little bit of some of the Sinsters 
Same. I, I actually, especially during the sex scenes. <laughs> For me, it was more of the mystery yeah. in quotation marks that, that reminded me. All Although right, I will so, say, I mean, uh, we have made a lot of fun of the sinister books, but I prefer those, like much prefer those to this. Well, yeah, because this does not nearly come up to the level of batshittery of the sinsters. No. And it's not nearly as sexy. Let's so this is on both counts. Yeah. Let's do our random numbers because I think our summaries are going to give you a, an idea of how we felt about the book. So yeah. our random number that we generated was 21. So my 21 word summary, not like the other girl, TM, but a book. Conversations and plot have no flow, but there are a lot of guns. There are a lot of guns in this book. Like, like so many guns. So many guns. Yeah. Okay. Farm girl slash Earl's daughter from the colonies and the youngest hottest Duke meet cute when she saves his bestie, Beau Brummel, from Highwaymen. That is the first chapter, guys. Yeah. Yep. All right. So tropes. She's not like other women. And and not only is she not like other women, like she literally actually says it several times in this book. When are you going to learn that I'm not like other women? Okay. So she says it. She says to him to stop treating her like other women. He thinks he needs to realize his wife's not like other women. His it's friend is like, you should, you should have realized, but no, she's not like other women. It's so frustrating, but I think more than that, this is evidence of the biggest weakness of this book, which is just how disjointed it is. Mm -hmm. Like, not only do the individual plot elements not interconnect in the way Julie Garwood clearly thinks they do, but reading conversations is an exercise in futility. Like, the way characters respond and the things they think they know, like, it, it, it makes no rational sense. And I can't tell you how often a character responds to something I thought was totally innocuous by bursting into tears. Or, yeah, or laughter. This is, she's one of those women who starts laughing at things that they're thinking in their heads. Yes. <laughs> it's very, very weird. So it's offensive from a feminist standpoint, obviously. And like, it shits on like every other woman. One woman is even called a manipulative bitch in the text. Mm-hmm. Which, not great. Um, but more than that, I think the fact that it needs to be reiterated so many different times is also evidence of Julie Carwood didn't really have a plot. Like, okay, so Meg said the first chapters are saving Bro Brummel, but the prologue is Itty Bitty Baby Caroline hearing her father in an altercation with some, what she thinks are robbers in the foyer her going downstairs and her picking up the gun and shooting one of the robbers. Although you don't know who she shoots. She clearly doesn't shoot her dad. He shows up in the third chapter. Right. But you're, you're not supposed to know what happens. Like she falls and the gun goes off and you don't know. Did she like harm her father? Did she shoot her mother? Did she? Right. I mean, it, it is, it does become obvious like pretty soon if you were paying any attention at all what happened, but I'm just saying it is supposed to be a cliffhanger. 
Okay, it wasn't. Yeah. So I don't feel like it needs a spoiler warning because it so wasn't. Um, but so the thing I love is apparently this was the motivator for her being sent to America. And everybody upon learning this is like, yes, that makes so much sense. I don't understand why it makes any sense that she had to be sent to America. I don't get it either. I don't get it's, it either. I can't tell you every conflict in the book is like this where all the characters eventually come to an understanding and they're like, yes, it, it is so obvious. And I'm like, what? No. Oh, it, oh of course. It still makes no sense. Yeah. Everything from family to it's like the, her, one of her best friends is a black dude because she found him in a barn? No, he came. Did she find him in a barn? Yeah. And then she, she brought him to their house. Barn. Yes. Oh, that also drove me nuts is that like I, it was so confusing because she was like, yeah, I'm from Boston. And I mean, Boston is a city. Even back in the day, which also you're not really sure what time period this is, because, yes, she does save Bo Brummel. So you would assume this is the Regency. On the other hand, they are still the colonies and they keep calling them colonies. And and I mean, we all know that in a true Regency, the American would be like, we have been our own country for so many years. Yep. And that didn't happen. So um, I was quite confused about what time period this was supposed to be happening. Well, not only that, but even the first chapter, they talk about Benjamin speaking an Afro-Caribbean dialect that only Caroline can understand. But you learn he escaped slavery as a small child from Virginia. <laughs> yeah. I like I it was so baffling. OK, so other tropes, um, a waltz and a garden fondle. Oh, yes. Which I'm now copywriting. You gotta stay away from her to protect her. How many times have we seen this? Every I mean, we just in, saw it. We just like, saw it. Every conflict in this book revolves around characters not communicating. Oh, yeah, exactly. Like literally, if in the first chapter, or even like the first chapter that their families officially meet, her father, her uncle, they call him Brad, and Caroline had sat down and been like everyone give the information you know about Caroline's past, there would have been very little conflict in this book. Oh, no. Yeah. Uh, okay. Let's see. Oh, yes. He's hungry, but not for food. My eyes are rolling back into my head. Um, yeah, that it's so trite, and it wasn't well done here. It didn't, like, add anything innovative. It was just gross. Yeah, well, and the worst is, like, she actually was hungry. So I kind of felt bad for her. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was like, like, if you if you feel bad for her every time he doesn't let her do what she actually needs or wants in this book, it's an it's a never ending exercise in futility. Which is perhaps why I dislike the book so much. Okay, when I was 14 years old, probably was like, oh, he he just wants her so much. He's so into her, and that's why he wants to control every move she makes. Maybe I liked that back then. But I don't like that now. My guess would be what appealed to Baby Meg was how headstrong Caroline was. Maybe. Like, uh, she I, does, yeah. but you're told about an independent streak, not shown it. Yeah. And the actual morals being conveyed in the text are really problematic. But I get how a 14-year-old reading a book published in the 80s in the late 90s, early 2000s, would have responded to her thinking it was empowering, potentially. Yeah. 
I'm well, going to give you more the, credit than thinking his controlling behavior was sexy. Yeah. Well, and the whole thing, too, is, you know, I mean, now I know, like, what the right courtesy titles are for different people. And at the time, I had no idea. I was just like, wow, what is this strange world? <laughs> um, she has an evil uncle. And she has a tragic dead mother. And he has a tragic dead father and older brother, which leads to... He's the Duke who is never meant to inherit. Exactly. Um, also, he can't say I love you because he, because all women are duplicitous, because he was tricked in, tricked by his older brother. It, this was so weird. And so now he's only ever had sex with prostitutes? Yeah. But he made that decision because his brother tricked him into having sex with a prostitute? No, his brother didn't trick, his brother tricked him into being a voyeur his brother right. like, like he only had trip. sex with prostitutes now because his brother tricked him into watching the woman he thought he was in love with have sex with someone else yeah i mean definitely sounds like a real asshole older brother but very weird but very weird uh, and then last but not least they are caught in a compromising situation and it's a shotgun wedding but wait twist the compromising situation is not like someone comes upon them kissing in public where they're left alone too long um her father hears noises coming from her room and knocks on her bedroom door and he's there waiting like it was his plan all along to have them caught like caroline literally opens up her bedroom door and goes oh did we wake you dad <laughs> i was like wait a minute caroline if you don't I want to marry the dude, like, this is not the way to go about it. Beyond the historical inaccuracies of, like, wait, when is this? There's also a lot of inaccuracies about, like, the way people would have behaved. There's I mean, these- I, I don't think it's, like, historical inaccuracies. I just think it's, like, people in general, like, <laughs> any person. <laughs> right. It's It's bad. It's yeah, it's it's pretty terrible. Well, it's also, um, I don't quite know what the book is trying to convey sometimes because both Rummel is sort of exalted, not for being a dandy, but Caroline likes him when yeah. she meets him and she's impressed by how much he dresses. But then she's really angry her husband thinks she might want nice things. Yeah, yeah. There's a whole part where he buys her all these jewels and she sends them back to him. I will tell you both Lane and I were like, saw that and we're like, "Uh uh-uh, Caroline. (laughs) Whatever else, keep the jewels. Right? Right a minute to say, you don't have to do that, but thank you. Yeah. Or even just, if you really think your husband's so much of a dick that you don't know if you can live with him, welcome to, you now have currency. Yeah. Like you're dumb. If you don't keep the only material wealth you are allowed to possess. True. Yeah. Yeah, Caroline, of course, she she likes wearing nice clothes, but she doesn't like shopping because she's not like other girls. Well, and my other favorite scene is she's, I say this ironically, she's fitted for this dress that is scandalous and sexy and like, it's ivory and it shows off all of her cleavage and she's uncomfortable in it, but she decides to wear it to impress Brad and Brad's like, you're half dressed, go get dressed. You look slutty. And she's like, no, I wanted you to tell me I'm pretty and now I'm mad at you. But then she goes into dinner and basically calls all the other women in low cut dress slutty. Yes. 
I'm yes. like, no. I was like, Caroline, no. I'm like, you are dressed just like them. Right, she's I like think- she's drooling over her tart at my husband at my boyfriend or whatever, but you could fit so many tarts in her cleavage. And I'm like, uh-huh. but also, what is this insult? It makes no sense. Not only is it like really hypocritical, but also like since when have we commented on women's biglet by thinking about how many pastries we could fit in there? It's very odd. <laughs> yeah. I mean Caroline's not like super witty. Um, I did notice that he screwed up the courtesy titles and then got it wrong in the next paragraph when listing his own titles. Oh, my God. Yeah, she's like, oh, look, that's the Earl of Sandringham over there. And he's like, you mean Earl of Sandringham? And she's like, huh? And he's like, you know, if you said the Earl of Sandringham, it means he has the highest title in his family. But Earl Sandringham, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, okay, like, maybe that's true. But then he goes, for example, I'm the Duke of Bradford, Earl, Earl, blah, 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 the Viscount, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, no, 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 Brad. I'm like, he got it wrong. Even internally, your logic is flawed. Yeah. It's confusing. Um, I have to laugh at the point of who is Caroline's father's heir. I probably, I mean, I'm sure I didn't think about this when I was younger, but like you made me think about it. Cause I was like, wait a minute. Yup. I thought of this reading it. <laughs> I knew you did. <laughs> so the deal is, um, after the incident involving the gun that a four-year-old shot, she had to be shipped off to America. And so the Earl shipped his only surviving child off to America with his little brother and his little brother's family. So she's raised by her aunt and uncle with her like five cousins as her siblings yeah. like, she knows they're not actually her biological siblings she knows they're cousins but like they're a family and so her whole family is outraged that she goes back to england because they're all like england sucks we're americans but one of her american cousins is definitely the heir <laughs> like definitely yeah, I was like, wait a minute, this this isn't it's not working here. Also, I mean, she should have a title herself. She should be Lady Caroline. And someone calls her that once in yep. the entire text. Which what I mean, whatever. I just it feel like if, if I had a courtesy title, I would be asking people to call me it all the time. Excuse me. It'd be like those people who get really offended when they're called Mr. or Miss instead of Doctor, because it's like, excuse me, I worked for this. You're gonna call me. Doctor, except yeah. like, I did not work for this. You're gonna call me lady. Like call me my lady, please. Her <laughs> ladyship, thank you very much. Yeah, that's acceptable. Right. Oh my god. And I okay, I hated the fact that she called herself a farm girl. I'm just a farm girl. Cause I was like Still confused about the fact that she's a farm girl because she lived in Boston. Boston is not a farm. It's like no one farmed there. It's not a farming place. It's a port. Yes. Uh, also, it's like really brother and an earl that appears to have some means. Yeah. So I just don't believe they went to America with 20 bucks, especially when they were sent to America partially to get Caroline out of England at her father's behest. I guess. Like, they definitely went with means. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. 
<sighs> okay, so Caroline comes to England with. We haven't talked about any of this plot. So what happens is. Because <laughs> it's only in the first like 20% of the book. Yeah. So they she gets sent to America. The first chapter is she's back in England because her father has finally kind of put his foot down and said, you got to come to England. So she and her cousin Charity and their friend, their black friend, Benjamin, come to England. And then they're on their way to her father's country estate when I don't I don't exactly know what happens. Like, I don't know if someone if they lost a wheel or if they got attacked. But anyway. She hears someone else getting attacked. It's Bo Brummel. He was getting attacked by high women. She uses her gun to shoot two of them. Again, unsure about how the gun had two bullets, but I'm not. No, she had two guns. Oh, well, then there you go. See? And um, Benjamin is her reloader. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. So she saves Bo Brummel, who got nicked like quite high up on his leg near his groin and then jared marcus benton earl of bradford rides up out of nowhere and it sees this amazing woman who's not like other women because she saved another man and he just immediately is like smitten i think smitten is the right word yeah and of course she thinks he's super hot too because I guess he's supposed to be really hot mm-hmm. and then they both go their separate ways and then they meet up at Ashford's Bash I actually remember this because I thought I was like how can you say those two words like really closely together Ashford's Bash like yeah. that twister. so they meet at Ashford's Bash and Caroline is like this untouched beauty. She's so wonderful. And he sees her from across the room. She's 18. And then they dance and he just like goes in like complete pursuit of her. Like the minute they meet each other, they go out, you know, he waltzes her outside. They totally make out. She gets interrupted by her cousin, Charity. Who is totally not scandalized. Totally been like, she was like, oh, I knew you were into him. (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah wait i forgot my favorite part of the book is that the reason charity came to england is because she fell in love with an englishman back in boston who broke her heart and abandoned her but charity's convinced that there must be some other reason and reader there is some other reason for why he didn't honorably ask for her hand in marriage which i'm not going to spoil because it was like the best part of the book in my opinion I don't know. Did you like it, Lane? No. Not like I, the things that you pointed out, I thought were good. Okay. But talk about hanging plot threads. Oh, I, it was so like, I don't know why. It's like built up as a story and then it's never a thing. (laughs) It's never a thing that like, which is, I think this is the one thing I could like feel nostalgic about, I guess was like, the whole thing was built up. Oh, also the fact is he's just some guy. He's just some guy. Who well, happens to know a Duke personally. Yes. Charity's like, do you know Paul Bletchley? His name is not Bletchley, but I forget the actual name. It's like, Bletcher, I think. It's, it's something like that. Do you know yeah. Paul Bletcher? And the Duke is like, I do, in fact, know him. 
But I was like, yep, that's what happens. Get off the boat, meet the richest man in England, and he totally knows you're the guy who abandoned you. Well, and there's all these mentions. So Brad and his best friend, name currently escaping me. Milford. Milford, thank you. I was going to say Milford. But, but wait, his name, so he's the Earl of Milford, but then later in the book, they call him the Earl of Milfordson or something like yeah. that. Don't, that that's why it's hard to keep track of. So Milford and Brad apparently allude several times in the text to their secret military missions. Oh, yeah. Never, oh, yeah. Never relevant. Never I brought up. Never part. done into detail. Like, just, just a throwaway. So great. The plot lines that could have existed in this book compared to the plot lines that did totally make no sense. Okay. So basically, I liked Charity and Paul's subplot. Probably because they weren't on the page all that much. Which yes, is the two of them were fine. It was just basically a huge red herring. Oh, completely. But kind of fun. Okay. Before we, I think we're going to talk a, a lot about what happens in the plot actually in our next section about offensiveness. <laughs> so I'm just going to end really quickly about, uh, I'm just going to touch on the dialogue. Because mm-hmm. chair, uh, not charity, um, Caroline's dialogue in particular is just extremely stilted and it's like she's a foreigner or something. Yes. And this is pretty characteristic of Garwood's books where the the female heroine has this like ingenue dialogue which like she doesn't speak in contractions and she says things like you know I will forgive you for now because you do not understand the things that you're saying you know whatever um I feel like it it actually does kind of work in some of her books so I'm thinking of the lion's lady this is this is a historical that has its own extremely problematic issues. So the the woman in that book is a nobleman's daughter who was taken to America. But in this case, she was raised by American Indians. Oh, I will never read this book. <laughs> cool, 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 cool. But, and, but she, so she didn't learn English at a young age. So she is supposed to be speaking a foreign language. So what I'm saying is the dialogue in that sense works right because she is supposed to be a foreign like not a native english speaker or if you're reading one of the medievals it kind of makes sense because you know it's medieval stuff when people speak weird right but it's the combination of the weird stilted dialogue with terms of endearment like baby yes That make it kind of difficult. Okay, so spoiler free, crash course through the plot just because I think we're going to need this baseline getting into offensiveness. Baby Caroline accidentally shoots somebody in her house, gets shipped off to America to live with all these relatives, comes back to America with cousin best friend and black best friend to track down the dude who abandoned cousin best friend and reply to the summons that her father gave her to say, come back to England, my child. So they're back in England. She meets her dad. On the way, she saves Paul Brummel and meets his bestie, Weird Duke Dude. The rest of the book is Weird Duke Dude courting her, insisting that he wants to bed her and her basically saying, you only get me if you love and trust me. Tales all this time. Um, and weird accidents that don't seem like accidents happening to Caroline. Yeah. That are increasingly dangerous. Increasingly life-threatening. 
Mm-hmm. Pretty much the plot. And then the and they wrap it up. They wrap up who they wrap up who's behind the plot against Caroline's life. And then they also wrap up the interpersonal conflict, which ends by him saying, I love you. Spoiler alert. They end they up end together. together. <laughs> uh, but I just want to point out, like, there are several red herring fake plot starts, like his military service, like whatever happened back in Boston, like some weird stuff with her one uncle, not the evil uncle. Like, there's just a lot of weird half-started plot lines that go nowhere. So it makes the narrative feel really disjointed, even though at its core, it is very, very basic. So what in this very basic plot offended the fuck out of you? Well, I mean, there was her black friend, Benjamin. Yeah. I mean, look, at least he wasn't her slave who was also her friend, which I have seen in books. You know, he wasn't like a slave that she freed and then he decided to stay with her because he liked her, which what we've, we've seen. What's uncomfortable about him is he has pretty much no dialogue. He has no dialogue. And even though he's supposed to be her friend, he doesn't go to the balls with her. He doesn't go to dinner with her. Instead, he helps the cook in their kitchen learn how to be a better cook because he likes cooking and but not only that I find it very hard to believe that a black boy even one adopted and raised by white people in Boston would just be accepted into all of her family members in England's home with no question nobody in this book is racist race is not dealt with but that in and of itself is racist I mean it's racist because he's what is racist is the fact that it's not mentioned he's her friend but he's not treated like a friend in the text and instead he is treated like a servant when he's even on the page he's really a non-entity she just plugged a black guy in for no reason yeah i'm i'm not sure what the whole point of was with benjamin pretty it's pretty bad it, it, it's so unnecessary and leaves more questions than anything else yeah um, this book is, uh, every single time that they make out until they get married, she says, no, don't kiss um, me. I don't want to kiss you. Even after they get married. Sometimes after they get married too. Yeah. Yep. Um, every single time. And then sometimes after they get married. So um, and if you're wondering this- if he respects those boundaries, no, and in fact, if you're wondering when you're in his internal monologue, if he's thinking must overpower and control her. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he is. Um, yeah, v- this is very much a, like, I want submission. I want obedience. Um, I want her to admit she loves me. And of course, she's saying no because she, she she's saying no because she's scared because she desires him. Yeah. Which, and we've talked about this, like, I think it's a legitimate feeling to say no because you feel like you need, you are supposed to say no. And or even no because you feel out of control and you just want to hit the brakes for a second. Right. And we've seen it be addressed in books, like, like um, when a Scott ties the knot, for example. Mm-hmm. You know, like this happens. She says no. And then she thinks, oh, I kind of wish I hadn't said no. 
And then she can express that to him and say, you know what, let's restart this. Yeah. There's no restarting because he doesn't stop when she says no. Yep. So it's not, this is not like a violent rape book. So it's not, there's nothing violent, but he ignores what she says. And that is treated as okay. Because really in the end, she wanted it. I also need to talk about the fact that he offers an 18-year-old virgin Earl's daughter the position as his mistress. Yeah, it, this is so weird because he doesn't actually offer it to her. But he maybe wanted to. Yeah, she says, I won't be your mistress. And he said, well, I never offered it. And he, she goes, well, you wanted to, didn't you? And he's like, oh, I mean, kind of. And later in the book, he reflects on the fact that he absolutely would have settled for that. It's, he's an 18-year-old virgin Earl's daughter. Yeah. No. It's like, very weird. Not that that inherently deserves any more respect or makes this book less rape culture. I'm just pointing out that, like, the liberties he feels like he can take with women, particularly her, are not just rape culturally inoffensive. They throw out everything we know about historical time periods. Yeah. Yeah. So so basically, I mean, we've, we talked about this. So... We can compare this with one of my other early favorites who has remained a favorite, Amanda Quick, right? Except for her more modern stuff. Right, right, right. But um, if we look at the, like, she published contemporaneously with Julie Garwood. Mm-hmm. And when I was first reading romance novels, I was reading Julie Garwood and I was reading Amanda Quick, right? Um, and they have a lot of similarities in that they've got this, like, very innocent heroine who's also, like, kind of spunky and has a little bit going on. You know, Um, but I think there are a couple of big differences and those differences are that, yes, Amanda Quick, if, if the woman says no, the man will stop. Yeah, Amanda Quick also, I think, has a more cohesive narrative structure. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I've n- I have never claimed that Amanda Quick is historically accurate. In fact, if you list, if you re-listen to our Amanda Quick episodes, I will say that it's not historically accurate. But it's not as bad as this. It's also not historically accurate because she's having fun with stuff that wouldn't have been historically accurate. And so, like, whatever. It's like Tessa Dare in the Ikea bed. I don't exactly. revere historical accuracy. I do find it bothersome when you attempt to write stilted like old-timey dialogue for the regency when it wouldn't even have been authentic but then have everybody calling each other baby like you you pick and choose right yeah exactly um so this this book doesn't even meet the no um she's racist against irish people and that's never addressed uh yeah she's like totally racist against irish people it's, it's so weird and also it turns out her father was like fighting for irish home rule but not really it's very weird. It's so odd. And like at first I was like, oh, maybe this is going to have something to do with the prologue. <laughs> like maybe she doesn't like Irish people because like of something that happened in her past and blah, blah, blah. Nah. It's no. just, she just says it. It's never de- dealt with at all. It's just like, okay. So I was like, was she trying to give her some kind of like acceptable, pre- time, historically accurate prejudice that's treated as like, is it, was it supposed to be in there for laughs? I don't know why the heck that was in there. And it's also not criticized in the text. Like, it's unquestionably okay that she hates Irish people and thinks they're cowards. 
Well, um, Bradford is like, oh, but you know that's not true. She's like, you're right. It's probably not that true, but I can't help the way I feel. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just want to point out that the full plan and execution begins at percentage mark 98. Yeah, it's pretty. It, it ends, too, like very quickly afterwards. <laughs> Yes, it, it does it does fall a little bit into the sinister trope of um let's cover it cover up the death of this person for the family yeah this is a bad sinister yeah it is this is like proto sinister um and then i want the proto sinister tattooed on my body proto sinister <laughs> Oh, gosh. And then there's so much jealousy. Like, he is so possessive and so jealous. And, again, I think it's supposed to, you're supposed to see it. You're supposed to see it as not good, but it's only not good because he doesn't trust her, not because he feels jealous. Like, he's supposed to be able to feel jealous, but then understand that she wasn't doing anything to cause the jealousy. Well, it's difficult because every rando in London society feels it's appropriate to grab her and force themselves upon her in all situations. Mm -hmm. And I will say, remember the time that she was wearing that like sexy dress and he was like, don't like your dress. And she's like, that's not nice. And then she criticizes other women for wearing their sexy dresses. Later, she gets attacked by someone and he walks in on them and he was like, well, you shouldn't have worn that dress. And I was he like, says, this is your fault. Uh-huh. I was like, oh my God. Like I already didn't like him very much. And then that was like uh, it was awful. She was a hot mess of inconsistent characterization, and he had no characterization other than jealous rages. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she was <laughs> like, When are you gonna understand that I'm not like other women? And I was like, Stop saying that, Caroline. This is really lends itself into sexiness because we've talked before about how we struggle when we don't buy into the main couple or when we have problems with the plot elements that it's really hard to objectively look at how sexy something is. Um, and I think, I think that probably this could be sexy. I just had so many issues with what led up to every single sex scene that I was like, ah, but even some of the sex scenes, like, he knows she's upset, and so he uses sex to manipulate her. Yeah. And then they end up, um, the number of sex scenes they fight immediately afterward are all of them except the last one. Yeah. They have a lot of, well, on their wedding night, they don't fight. They have a, they have a sexy argument where she's teasing him. But the next morning they fight. Yeah. But they have sex, like, two times. Okay. In, be in between, there's no fight. <laughs> Okay. But interestingly, in between, she's basically like, well, this is the next morning. She's like, we can't do this because I am too sore. Mm -hmm. So it's oral time, which is fine, but then they fight immediately. I'm just... Uh, yeah. I so, was not turned on by any part of this because also, I can't tell you, I, I was never really sure what was going on or what their emotional like relationship was at any given time. And so, like, the high level of constant confusion prevented you from getting lost in the story at all. Well, like, there's this whole time. So they get married, and then they have some argument about how he doesn't trust her. And, like, literally, she gives him the cold shoulder 
um, like orders him out of her bed and they're not, they're, they're like not, they're not talking. It's like the cold shoulder slash silent treatment. And then finally he's like, I'm just going to seduce her, which he doesn't say I'm going to seduce her by like giving her flowers. He's just like, I'm, we're going to have sex basically. And she doesn't fight cause she wants to have sex, but there's like no emotional connection. Cause it's like this terrible She's like, yeah, I kind of want to have sex with you, but... So, like, they don't argue, but then it's, like, weird. Well, and not only that, she's been pissed at him, and she's like, don't touch me, don't touch me, don't touch me. And then her internal monologue, and then he touched me so gently. Like, why (laughs) did that all of a sudden change your mindset? I don't know what's going on in your head. Get mental help. Yeah, yeah. So, basically, this book is just a mishmash of stuff. Probably if it was your first romance novel, you'd be like, what is this crazy world that you're that I'm entering into here? Uh, And then you would maybe move on to better stuff. Maybe this is also one of her worst books, because I mean, I remember there are other books that I liked by her. I gotta imagine Native American raising English girls worse. (laughs) It has a more coherent plot line than this one. Okay. Like, way more coherent. And then there are, like, anyway, yeah, I I still remember it. The first book I ever read was called Honor's Splendor. And I did actually buy this book um, when I got back into reading romances. So I read them for a while, and then, like, I kind of stopped reading them. And then I was, like, I was in grad school, and I basically was, like, I need something other than what I'm reading right now. So I was like, ah, I remember liking Honor Splinter. I'll get it. And I read it and I was like, what in the world is this book? What is this? It was so weird. Anyway, I don't know. I don't know what that tangent was, but. It was real. It was wrong. It was not. <laughs> it was yeah, but then I w- then I read some others. I was like, okay, maybe I won't go back to the Garwood well. I remembered Amanda Quick, um, and I was like, okay, this is this is what I remember. Yeah, I mean, I had fun reading it because it was so bonkers. Like, okay. dude, the things that are really exceptionally, how did this get published? And especially when they're so obviously products of their time, I find, like, interesting. Yeah. And that's where this came down for me. Like, I certainly wouldn't recommend it. But I have not read very many romance novels published in 1986. Yeah. I mean, mean, maybe we could try another one um, sometime. Uh, The the issue is I'm not going to buy another one of Garwood's books just because – I'm, I have some major issues now with the point where I am in my life with reading these books. Um, on the other hand, there might be some other books that at least are kind of fun. I, I remember one that's set like uh, with William the Conqueror and the prize, I think it's called because the, the heroine is given as a prize to the, you know, one of the, <laughs> Normans. We're starting from a rough place. We, I mean, the right, but it's, you know, I don't know. I remember liking that one. But again, it's like, what am I remembering really in my head? Am I going to 
like lose that enjoyment that I remember having by rereading it. Maybe. Maybe. (laughs) I mean, we have, we've talked about rereading books and we're like, Ooh, I wish I hadn't reread that. Yeah. I don't want you to like ruin your childhood. Right. Exactly. My, well, my adolescence, I guess. (laughs) Everyone under 21 is a baby now. That's how it feels. That is how it feels. I'm dead serious. Like that's my, that's my current. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Everyone under the age of 21 is an infant. I don't, how do they live? Yeah. How did I put it? Um, yeah. I would not recommend this book, but I had fun reading it. I'm, I, I'm, I'm really, really glad that you had fun reading it because it was a really rough for me. <laughs> if you guys are enjoying the podcast, Please rate, review, and subscribe. Oops.